0: Something rather extraordinary seems to have happened at the smelling. How extraordinary, C.J.? Normally nothing extraordinary happens at a smelling, but yesterday it did. Cigar. Ah, thank you, C.J. Thank you, CJ. The computer has processed the results of the smelling. Ah. Exactly. As you so rightly say, ah. <clears throat> now this is what smell number one reminded its smellers of. <clears throat> Five people, mountains. Four people, snow. Three people, fresh water. Two people, large forest. One person, Bolivian unicyclist, jockstrap.
1: <laughs> this is extraordinary today. Smell
0: number two. Nine people, herbs. One each for Lavender, Thyme, Marjoram, Spice Factory, Heather, and Bolivian unicyclist. Doctor,
1: This is astonishing,
0: CJ. Smell number three, a greater degree of unanimity. Ah, good. Fourteen people, roses. Send it. But, but. one person, Bolivian unicyclist. unicyclist <laughs>
1: doctor, I can
0: hardly credit this, CJ. Same sorry story for all ten smells. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear,
2: oh dear. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh
0: dear. <laughs> I didn't get where I am today by everything smelling of Bolivian unicyclist doctors. <laughs> Finish <laughs> <laughs> the thought, CJ. There will be an investigation. Yes, really. CJ. Who will lead that I have no idea, CJ. You, Me. You, this is the big one. Goodbye, Reggie. Come on here. Reggie. CJ. Be thorough. Leave no worm unturned. CJ, I'll find out <laughs> who did this if it's the last thing I do. I like your attitude. Thank you, CJ. <clears throat> you back. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to Who and Company, I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. February's been busy,
4: and between an anniversary, a birthday, a convention in Virginia, and traveling to Los Angeles for my first ever Gallifrey
3: One, well, I wasn't exactly available to record an episode. But we're back, and we've got a very big guest to make up for it. In this episode, we'll be talking to the lovely and talented writer and actress of stage and screen and audio, Jane Slavin. Jane tells us how she got started in the business and how incredible it is to be the fourth Doctor's brand new companion at Big Finish. After that, we talk Jane's pick of the month,
4: 1976, The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. We'll discuss her love for its star, Leonard
3: Rossiter, and how the show could very well stand up if it were released today. But before that, James and Ian drop in to tell us about their recent trip to the cinema to check out Legopolis on the big screen to celebrate the upcoming Tom Baker Season 18 Blu-ray set. And all that's coming up. Hold it! I didn't get where I am today without saying that's all coming up right after this.
5: Well, thank you very much indeed. Yes, um, slightly aggrieved not to be able to use our regular recording spot which is um, a dank dirty dark smelly corner of the National Film Theatre car park and instead have had to find this rather nice pub but uh, we've managed to find ourselves a a, a corner and uh, Ian and I both have a pint and uh, we've just seen Logopolis at British Film Institute so uh, first of all Ian how do you feel about these new recording surroundings and getting a few funny looks I see
6: I think it's a little bit more sociable than our previous slightly windy, slightly smelly, slightly latrinal um, <laughs> corner.
5: Yeah, although I do have an affection for that particular horrible part of the, uh, the film theatre. I, I suppose in many ways, the same way Doctor Who fans have some affection for some really poor episodes, you, know, you just can't help but keep going back to them.
6: <laughs> oh, I, I think I can get over it. Especially with this
5: pint. Yeah okay well let's just set the context then uh, we've just watched Legopolis uh, with 450 fellow doctor who fans on the big screen with some new cgi effects lovingly inserted into the original footage by chris chapman i believe who was in la or he's still in la uh, at the time of recording so he wasn't he wasn't here to talk about those changes but uh, so how did it stand up after all this time of, um, seeing Legopolis in a public venue with lots of other fans?
6: Well, I, I have, as you know, some fairly strong views in Legopolis and we'll, we'll try and avoid coming to, to blows this time. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it stands up. I mean, I, th- I think all who stands up on the big screen at the BFI I've, I've not yet seen one that I didn't enjoy and didn't... didn't, didn't work by being put up on that big screen. It's always nice watching them with a whole bunch of other fans, and I guess that slightly improves my enjoyment, but it, it, it's battling uphill really, because I, I find it a, a fairly poor story to start with, no matter how big a screen you put it on. Mm. I mean, do you have um, any memories of watching this back in the day?
5: Because uh, certainly you and I must be of the age where our fandom was either you know really quiet you know in its developmental stage I would suggest and uh, a regeneration always sticks in the mind for me.
6: I, I have very vague memories of it. I'm pretty sure I did see this when it originally brought it. and this would have been just before I became sort of self-identified fan. So I was sort of watching more casually with the family. But I do remember the watcher, and I do remember the scene under the the radio telescope where, where Tom bids his farewell. Mm. So I, I'm pretty sure I saw it on an original broadcast. But like I say, I, I wasn't a, a a proper fan it was a year or two later before I really sort of fell into properly.
5: Right. Okay. Well, well, for me, uh, I think this was one of the things that made me really want to tune in the next week. Um, And I remember the regeneration having a fairly significant impact on uh, the young developing fan um, in in me that blossomed into the absolute aberration of the human being that uh, (laughs) that us today. But I I absolutely adored Logopolis, I have to say, and it will always, always have a special place in my heart. And I think You know, I I think certainly in the the most recent years when I've seen Regenerations within a new series I've really wanted to try and recreate that magic that I felt when I was younger and it it, it kind of had (coughs) diminishing returns and I just assumed that was because I was getting older and I think the regeneration from Matt Smith into Peter Capaldi and Peter Capaldi into Jodie Whittaker, I mean both of which had very little lasting impact on me really uh, wh- whereas Legopolis did and it did again when I, when I watched it on the screen just now uh, with, with, with so many other people I think had similar feelings you, you could feel the excitement still and, and, and therefore for me it isn't a simple matter of me getting old, it's a case of, yeah, this story had something magical back in the day, and it still has it now. It still is able to create that excitement in me when I watch it. Is that the whole story, or just the regeneration sequence of the end? That's an interesting question, and I think it probably is the regeneration of most of episode four. However, I think all of Logopolis has a fairly unique feel, and it does leads to the regeneration in, in a really really unique way I, I think and uh, the story itself is is enjoyable for that for that reason and and I'll tell you what I think it is and, and see whether you agree uh, or whether I'm just clutching at straws here to make it sound interesting but I think that the whole of the first two episodes, I mean the dynamic between the fourth Doctor and Adric is brilliant, you just don't see it in any other story there's so much dialogue just with those two characters on the screen and that's only compromised in episodes 3 and 4 because Nyssa's there and the Master is there and you, you get those scenes rather than with Adric you get him with the Master and Anthony Ainley, and again you see the Fourth Doctor and the Master interacting in a really special way that again hasn't been seen. Um, I suppose when this was transmitted, you hadn't seen the Master at all in this form, apart from the previous story, and then you know not since the Deadly Assassin, where it's almost unrecognisable, a different character. So I, I just think this story has got so much unique character dynamic. In it. it, it's it's unique and then it ends in a regeneration. So, for me, I, I just love the way Logopolis is packaged, and uh, along with the music as well, and the funereal pacing and atmosphere, it's it's pretty much a unique entry, I would say. Um, not only in yeah, the Fourth Doctor's era, but into the classic Who, full stop. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree
6: with it just, I just don't think it goes anywhere. There, there's lots of scenes where there's interesting concepts, you know, the recurring TARDIS within the TARDIS and, and, and things like that, and there's some lovely ideas, and you like, oh, well, quite neat. Hmm. But there's just no structure to it, there's no reason for most of the things that happen, it's just events happen. If you actually stop and really look at it very carefully, they spend well over half the runtime just going from one place to the other for no discernible reason. And very often then just turn around and go back again this particularly happens in logopolis itself where they just spend endless minutes walking up and down the the, the passageways of the the village talking to each other and then just seem to turn around and walk back again and again and again and it does isn't seem meandering around and the whole story just seems to meander around i still and, and you know this is my sort of third or fourth time watching it in the last few years i still don't really understand what the masters Planets. It starts off with some odd thing about trying to trick the Doctor into combining their TARDIS. But then is he really trying to get to under the skin of what Agopolis is doing? But then is he really trying to take control of Agopolis? But then he's not taking control of Agopolis, he's taking control of the whole of the universe. Only he's not because the thing that was vital to save the universe five seconds earlier, now we've got to stop it to stop the Master and that doesn't stop the universe. And stuff just seems to happen in a more stream of consciousness way. Without any, I I really struggle to get a handle on what is the plot, why was the master here, what was he trying to achieve, what was anybody trying to achieve, just stuff happens, and I I, I just I I lose the plot to be honest with you.
5: And it obviously affects your enjoyment, whereas (laughs) it it, it doesn't mine, you know, and and I don't think anything you said was wrong at all, I don't think I disagree, I think there's, you know, probably the more fundamental question as to what the hell is the watcher, you know, and why is the watcher even in this story? You know, there's no real logical reason there, uh, let alone trying to figure out what the master's up to. But I enjoy it despite that, and uh, I think perhaps ironically in a story about entropy, structure is probably overrated even in story terms, and if the whole thing falls to pieces as a story, it just doesn't bother me. Um, I, I like the character dynamics, I like the feel of this story, Um, the the, the regeneration itself I think is good um, and is conveyed in a way that does create a sense of wonder for for, for anyone who really enjoys uh, Doctor Who or the whole concept of the show and I I just I just like the way this era ends Um, and Peter Davison's face is so young and fresh and there's a smile it kind of just feels hey there's a new start literally just around the corner and and, and that's true it was you know the whole show had completely regenerated from the end of season 17 right through to the end of season 18 and I think Tom Baker's highly emotive problems, I will call them problems, I think he probably would as well, looking at some of the special features in which he talks about this particular period on the show for him, um, it, you know, it just adds to the way his era finishes, because it, it's a very, very clearly defined change in a Doctor's personality and the way that he comes across on the screen as a character, and it just worked for me, and something has you know, basic as plots and story just don't, don't really matter to
6: me so much. I, I always found that this whole season feels a little bit like an anachronism. And um, mm. I don't know if it's just because of the new um, title credits coming, which are the title credits that I remember most strongly, because when I became a fan, it was Peter David's era, and that's the credit role. I mean, I remembered the old, you know, golden tunnel ones, everyone does. But the ones that were were current and the music that was current when I became a fan was that music, and I, to this day I find it slightly strange seeing Tom's face appear in the starfield at the beginning of those credits because in my mind they're not Tom's credits, they're Peter's credits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it sounds a bit strange, but no, I, I, it doesn't at all because I feel the same about.
5: Uh, you know, when Colin Baker turns up <laughs> uh, for his first season, it's essentially the same title sequence, and his face doesn't fit in the same way you've just said Tom's does. Mm-hmm.
6: And, and I think there's also an air across the whole season. And what, what I will say for the golfers is, it is very much of its time. It is that at that period in Doctor Who, they were getting quite serious, a little bit po-faced. I mean, they've in some of the the extra features that they showed us uh, at the BFI, but they were trying to get the air of science and teaching back into the show and get rid of some of the silliness, you know, the, the infamous horns of nylon-style silliness that, that had, had to be fair and fed the show a bit stronger. For my taste, it goes a little bit too far in that direction. It becomes a bit, but there's almost an air of 2001 going on sometimes, but on an ultra-low budget. Um, <laughs> and... I, I, I prefer my boom when there's a little bit more humour and a little bit more action and drama going on. I don't necessarily want to you know, have the, the, the slapstick of, of the, the, the previous season or so. But yeah, I, I, I find that whole, it, that whole era a bit clinical and stories like the doctors and Castrovala that came straight after it, and maybe Warriors Gate and some of his other ones. There's there's a very clinical, sort of scientific area, which I know is what they were gunning for, but I I find it beating a little bit cold. Yeah, and I I get what
5: you mean. I think it perhaps was, well, perhaps all of season 18 really, was a a reaction to season 17. And I think certainly towards the end of season 18, with Christopher Bibmead starting to write those... Stories as well, um, then, then I think you're right, it probably went too far. Um, but again, I mean, Christopher Pidmead was there uh, today and he, he, um, he talked quite clearly uh, about not caring what Tom Baker thought. And I think perhaps he was so keen to make his mark on the show uh, that he, he went too far. And um, you know, some of these sciencey. Concepts that he was um, introducing and bringing into the story, which a lot of which have, have, have perfect bases within science they aren 't explained well enough and they' aren't, you know, they aren 't really that key in delivering a good story or key to delivering a good story, with the exception of perhaps Megloss then all, all of season eighteen suffered to a degree from switching the tone. From comedy to science, so quickly.
6: I was quite surprised by Christopher H. Mead, who obviously I knew the name, and I'd read some of his books and stories, uh, and I'm not sure I've ever actually seen him in an interview before. Mm, me either. Uh, and I, me got either. The, and I got the impression that he hasn't done many, and, he, and he's a relatively rare uh, attendee at this sort of thing. Um, but in my mind, because I mean, the, the reputation of stories like is that it's quite intricate and structured and you know the, the, the infamous phrase a bit credits the view of having intelligence and it's got all this deeper meaning and structure um, and my impression of him has always been that he's got these sort of clockwork type stories I mean, they don't particularly work for me but that's what i've that's the impression i've had being interviewed actually what came across really really clearly and he kept really uh, emphasizing it was how little forward planning there was either in the season as a whole mm-hmm. or in any yeah. of the individual stories. And in fact, he, he really had some passion about this as if it was a virtue. And he said he thinks the most boring form of writing is to create a structure and then fill the structure. What he wants to do is just have ideas bubble up from the back of his head. And he literally said sort of, that they appear in the back of his head and float to the front and then he writes them down. Actually to my mind, that totally explained a story about the that just seems to you know, wander along you know like a puppy chasing after butterflies and the way he described writing that makes perfect sense for that. It was just going from one idea to the other and kind of coming out the stream of consciousness. but that's not at all what I imagined he would be like. I thought he would be a very structured, thoughtful writer and it seems it's the total opposite.
5: Yeah, I, well, at least he described that uh, storytelling process in, in a fairly um, whimsy way, I agree. I do wonder whether it was as, as, as whimsy as it was. I certainly believe the part where he explained the time pressures of producing the show, uh, and, and he reiterated that time and time again. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I very, very much enjoyed listening to it, and you've got a couple of overt criticisms of the new series into his panel as well uh, where he was talking about the stories being unintelligible which I thought was quite ironic to a degree but, but yeah, it, fascinating to listen to and um, I think it would be really good if he did a few more interviews or appearances at conventions because I'm, I'm sure he's not short of, uh, of invites but you know, he is in his mid-70s now, he alluded to that, he's looking very good for it it has to be said but uh, I found him fascinating to listen to
6: I, I enjoyed listening to him a lot more than I expected I would do because uh, again I'm not a fan of these stories but he, he was a, a very interesting person to listen mm-hmm. to had some really great insights into that era and the writing process he was by far the best of the guests that he had here the most of the rest of whom were a bit uh, forgettable especially the, the actor whose name escapes me now who played the Watcher who I don't even know why they were yeah. bringing him up but because he, he, he said virtually nothing of any interest and his character that stood in the field the whole time so that I hope, was a bit of a wasted uh, guess. Well, perhaps he didn't know. have m-
5: many memories other than just being completely and utterly covered in toilet roll and standing on bridges and fields. You know? <laughs> How interesting can you make that sound? But there we go. Anyway Ian thank you very much indeed uh, for spending a little time speaking to me about Logopolis. <laughs>
3: Thank you, James and Ian. Always nice to hear from you. And I'm a little jealous that you got to see that before me, but I will be at the cinema to see it next week here in the States along with a few local fan club members here in North Carolina. And I agree with you, James, that Legopolis has a special place in my heart, and it's still my favorite story ever. Starring Tom Baker, of course. And speaking of Tom Baker, our guest this month plays his brand-new companion, WPC Ann Kelso, in Big Finish's Fourth Doctor Series 8,
2: the wonderful Jane Slaven. What a selection of rare wines. Well, look at that, Anne, a 38. Mm, is that good? No idea. I very much doubt it. Yeah, a bit early for me. I don't drink wine with breakfast. Well, I'm not sure they're serving breakfast. Well, even prisoners
7: get breakfast. Well, they do where I come from, anyway. A cup of tea would be
2: nice. Tea, yes, yes. We demand tea. And cake. And cake. Cake? It's too early for cake, Anne. Nobody eats cake for breakfast. Just the tea will be fine, thank you. I can't tell you how excited
3: we are to have this month's guest with us. She's an award-winning writer, a captivating actress of stage and screen, and currently the brand-new companion to Tom Baker's Fourth Doctor. Jane Slavin, welcome to Who and Company.
7: Ah, thank you. That's a really nice introduction. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) I loved hearing myself described as the new companion.
3: <laughs> and happy early birthday! Oh, thank you. So, I guess let's just start by asking: uh,
4: How did you begin your career in acting?
7: Um, I I always wanted to be an actress. My mom and dad took us, me and my sister, to the theater all the time. And then, um, and then at sixteen, I started. I went to college. At eighteen, I went to drama school. Um, I'm from drama school. I won an award, whereby the prize was six months uh, at the BBC on the radio.
4: Wow, that's amazing! Um, that's a prize.
7: It was really a brilliant prize. I mean, you know, plus we were getting—I got paid <laughs> <laughs> for this—and it was just the best job in the world. It's led to so many things. I mean, it led to. Um, David Richardson checks that award, because it's a yearly award. They used to offer it to a man and a woman each year at drama school for the, I don't know, the most potential on the radio or the best radio voice or, I don't know, the ugliest face. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but David Richardson regularly checks that list. And one year he, he ticked me off the list and offered me a job with Tom, And that was mm, eight, nine years ago. So you see that that one thing led to this moment.
4: Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah. And is that something? So when you went to the school, were you still going to school while you were working for the BBC, or is that something that you had to leave? No, with...
7: it was uh, the contract started literally the day I left college, so I was not unemployed at all. Um, I left college one day, started the BBC the next.
1: That's
4: Um, almost unheard of.
7: I know. It was great. (laughs) It was great.
4: And is that specifically something that you you want to do? You said said your family would take you to the theater a lot, but working on the radio is very different from that because there's not that visual component of it. Um,
7: You know, we had the radio on in our house all the time, and my parents used to, they would abandon us by putting a record long playing record by our bed of just stories. So I used to sit and make my own. I mean, not that we were, I'm not saying, you know, we were actually abandoned. They just went into another room, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I would make my own radio plays when I was six or seven. I, I didn't even, I'd forgotten all about this until a couple of years ago when David Richardson um was asking me about it and I thought, yeah, I'm I'm doing really what what I wanted to do from being six years old. You know, I used to play all the characters, obviously. <laughs> not that I was like a megalomaniac or anything, but just because there was only me there with a microphone and some music, you know, I'd add a soundtrack and write a play and, and be in it. Which is pretty much what I do now. <laughs>
4: Did you record them? Yeah. Do you still have them?
7: I don't have them. I think I have one tape somewhere of me read, reading stories, which we'll never see the light of the day, <laughs> I don't think. Um, also, who's even got a tape machine these days? Oh, I certainly don't.
4: Oh, technology will allow us to convert that tape to a digital file. Don't you
7: worry. <laughs> I know, but I'm just not going to let that happen.
4: Have you listened to that tape um, recently? Or is it one of those things where you know you have it, and just having it is enough? Or have you actually I, gone to the trouble of listening?
7: No, I, I know I have. I know I have it. I don't know how much is on it because obviously I used to wipe myself. I, I'd, I'd wipe the tape. You know that sounds <laughs> sure. terrible. I used to wipe myself. <laughs> cut, cut. <laughs>
4: um. <laughs> one should hope. That that was a skill that you learned early on. <laughs> <laughs> and one should hope that that was a skill the BBC would have forgotten early on.
1: <laughs>
7: James Slavin talks about her wiping habits.
4: <laughs> on the next, yeah. who
3: and company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
7: Moving swiftly on.
4: Swiftly on. That
3: that probably uh, helped you a lot when you decided to start writing. And um, I was going to bring up, aside from acting, you've also written a novel called Riding on the Water, which... Actually, Drew is in the middle of, so he may be better. Uh, has your experience as an actor helped you in your writing, or is writing a novel a different thing altogether?
7: In, well, it's different, but acting is all about communication and imaginings and creating an alternative reality. And for me, I suppose writing is the same, and I, I do it I do it for myself as much as... Or the people who see it, because reality is rarely enough to satisfy me.
1: <laughs>
7: <laughs> so it takes you, to, you know, to another place. And while they're so they're enormously different jobs, but they stem from the same desire to, you know, create an alternative.
4: Do you have any kind of writing rituals? Uh, when we talk with writers, everyone's like, "Well, I have to have a quiet room, or I have to be listening to music, or I have to be away from the office, or I have to." Be around my kids. That's probably never happened. But um,
7: oh god, no, no. Um, (laughs) um, uh, I I realize I write better with a pad and a pen. Fascinating. Um, not only initially though. So I have to start off. I can't start off with my laptop and a blank screen. So I'm paralysed. But if I start off with a notebook and I make a million notes, and then I and then I go to the computer. And, and start to write properly. Um, but my rituals are so, they, uh, I, they, I do so many different things. I mean, I mainly, I realized I was a proper writer when I was was spending more time avoiding it than, you know, I think, oh, I'll make a cup of coffee and then, well, oh, I better do this first or oh, I can't write if the room's not tidy. So I better tidy, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. I like to write. I like to write in coffee shops.
4: Do you find that kind of background noise of of the blur of conversation helps, or is it um, or is, it a, is it a romantic thing? Is I think it the it's idea? A, yeah, the idea of being a writer and the coffee shop being extremely linked to one another.
7: Maybe. Or maybe, I've always loved a coffee shop. I used to run away to coffee shops. I ran away at school to coffee shops. I didn't go and run away to, I don't know, where other people ran away to. I went and ran away to coffee shops where, I don't know, it felt kind of French and and old-fashioned and private, bizarrely. I feel like it's more private. When I'm at home, I'm on call all the time. People talking to me, people wanting a piece of me. And in a coffee shop, really, everyone is ignoring each other. So That's true. Plus, I love coffee.
4: <laughs> uh, I, I was kind of curious, were you a reader as a, as a young child? Obviously, you, you spent a lot of time developing your radio plays, but were you also a reader?
7: Oh, yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, we all were in 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 my house. My dad's an English teacher. Um, my mum, I think, I mean, I think, not to knock her, but I think my mum probably preferred books to us. Huh. <laughs> she, she, that she kind of lived in them. My sister is avid, an avid reader. And, yeah, I've got 25,000 books knocking around my house.
4: What's wrong with that?
7: Burying us alive. (laughs) Um, Did anybody
4: else in your household write?
7: My sister is, uh, she's a novelist, you know, and she started writing, she was writing novels at 11. Really scandalous novels about people around us saying, oh, shall I publish this? And, you know, my parents terrified we were just going to be sued. (laughs) Um, But she writes less scandalous stuff now.
4: I'll have to look that up as well. I'm really enjoying your book. Uh, oh, I'm not, thank you. Be, between uh, everything else, but listening to the audios and and uh, watching watching the show that we'll be talking about, I haven't been able to read as much as I like. And I'm a, a librarian, so I think oh. my most common complaint in life is I don't read as nearly as much as someone who is constantly surrounded by books should yeah. be reading.
1: Yeah.
4: But I do enjoy it. Uh, the only regret I have is that. I couldn't get your book a physical copy, which is what I love having a physical copy in hand. So uh, I'm reading I'm reading on a computer, which uh, speaking of the romance of coffee shops, the romance of reading with a physical copy of the book oh, is, is absolutely. such an important part of that experience. And
7: it's I'm uh, completely with you. I prefer a physical book. I've tried Kindle. Um but no, I prefer a book. The smell of a book. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know, I think it's technology. I think I might be slightly addicted to my phone, but or my attention spans shot, but I've not read so much apart from stuff for work for I don't know, since September.
4: It's it's easy to fall into the the trap of not reading. It yeah. feels it feels more and more like reading is not a thing that I just fall into or I have to realize that I have to socialize with people and get yeah. my nose out of a book. These yeah. days it's been like, I need to spend two hours today sitting in my office or just in bed and read. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise it, it doesn't get... Done. I mean, I read children's books all day yeah. long, and that's, but uh, actual books with, with yeah. words and without <laughs> pictures.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, read enough books without pictures. That's
7: no, from. no. Well, at the moment, I would say no, I don't. And I would, I've would have always described myself as an avid reader. And yeah, if something's gone wrong, I don't know. Maybe I'm spending too much time on Twitter, on my phone, or obsessing with various life things. <laughs> um, but yeah, I need to read. Or maybe I've just been reading bad books. I mean, I've had hmm. to abandon a few books recently. And I blame myself, and not the book. So maybe f- it was the book's fault.
4: How far do you give a book, page-wise, before you put it down for good? Do uh, you have a Do you have a thirty-page limit, fifty-page limit, something like that? Eighty. Mm, that's you're being very generous.
7: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, recently it's been less, but but generally I would say eighty, because sometimes a book can be rescued around page 75
4: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you know, that's my I, problem
7: I, Birdsong, one of my favorite books ever and um i hated 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 the first 60 pages i hated it um but it but it became one of the, my favorite books ever after that so i'm glad i persevered i still you... can't get beyond those pages
4: oh I was gonna, I was gonna ask. so do you, if you ever read it again, do you go and just go, all right, page 61, the beginning f- <laughs> Do
7: you know what? I fume, I fume and fume and fume, and I read it and think, why did he write this? I get really cross with the author, um, and it's kind of, I don't like to skim it in case I miss something But, um, yeah, I have to, although I've not read that book for a good few years
3: um, Listening to the behind-the-scenes tracks on the Big Finish audios, it sounds mm-hmm. like you're a fan of Doctor Who. So um, was that part of your childhood? Like, when did you first watch it?
7: Mm, do You know, it sounds like that. I wouldn't say I was not a fan um, because, you know, I read all the scripts and I love doing the – I love the actual show. But, you know, I haven't seen the TV show since Tom. Since Tom regenerated into Peter Davison.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: um and then i so i've not seen it since then but you know i keep up with it and obviously i spend a lot of time i know a lot about it <laughs> um uh and all the audios so i feel like i'm a fan but i'm not because i'm not i'm i, I you know i'm a big fan of superman and yet i've only seen one of the films
3: uh the chris Reeve one
7: yeah, so Well, I, that's the best so, one? <laughs>
3: uh, well, yes,
7: but I. So I would say I'm a big Superman fan. You know, I mean, I have a little Superman necklace and Superman mugs, and you know, and and but it's the idea of Superman that I love rather than, you know, the specifics.
3: So you've not watched any of Jodie Whittaker's new seasons?
7: I haven't. But every time I see Jodie on screen or. Um, you know she does interviews and things she's i am mesmerized by her charm and her eloquence and her beauty beautiful skin oh my goodness she's <laughs> so gorgeous isn't she but also she just seems accessible she seems she seems like a person someone could aspire to be
4: that's a great way of describing it you want that from from the, really the media do. that you 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 are ingesting, right? Like you yeah. want to be able to feel like there's a a relationship, and I think that's where a lot of fandom comes from. You say that you're you don't want to consider yourself a fan of Doctor Who because you haven't watched it. That means nothing. One of the things I think that fans need to tackle is how we treat other fans, uh, particularly fans of the older Doctor Who, treating newer fans and that you don't have to know everything about it. You don't have to be up to date. You just have to be a fan. You just do. Well,
7: then in that case, I really am because I love, ah, oh, you know, I love the, um, I love the places they go. I love the possibilities that, that it's just boundless possibilities really, isn't it? With, it is with Dr. Who, it can take you to some terrifying places from a place of great safety.
4: Yeah, I, I. Do you find those the the travel is what appeals to you? And uh, is it the travel, the characters, the possibilities? What is yes, it about it's the? the it's, it's,
7: I think it's the possibilities that you could go to a to a place. You could go to a place in time. You can go back. You can go forward. Death is 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 not an option. Um, I. Uh, It just excites me. It's just... Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Limitless possibilities.
4: And I think that's one of the reasons that you get so many... so many young viewers tuning in.
1: Yeah. I think
4: that that pulls them in too because even though there's 55-plus years worth of history behind it, you can jump in and it's always going to be new and it's always going to be different. Mm -hmm. You can... You can find what you want out of the mm. show. You can get what you want out of the show, uh, and, yeah. and you're not limited by the, the actual show's history itself.
7: And it never turns sour, does it? For all the evil and all the you know the terrible monsters, it's never sour. It's never. You never come away feeling violated like you do by some shows. You think, oh mm. god, that was just so awful. <laughs> this, the, this it, it is like it is. it is it can be terrifying but safe
4: i think part of that is it it's designed to be a family show i think in the back of everyone's mind there's still this idea that children are going to be watching and you have to be able to um make sure that whatever you put in the show uh, the children can be able to tell their parents that it's going to be okay Uh, so so the parents don't get too worried i'm not worried about the kids kids are great they're they're (laughs) They're far more resilient than
1: we
7: oh, are. Oh, so. absolutely.
3: Um, so you had a unique opportunity early on to uh, do something that not a lot of people have done is um, a radio play with John Pertwee as the doctor when you were in mm. Paradise of Death. So what was it like working with him and Liz Sladen and Nicholas Courtney?
7: It was, you know, it was fantastic, but I had no idea at the time how important a moment it was, which in a way is good because, you know, it may have, well, it may have spoiled it because, you know, I knew they were fabulous. I knew they were on TV. I knew Liz because she'd she'd been Tom's assistant, Tom's companion. Um, And I knew John because he was famous, but I didn't realize quite how important it was. Only afterwards when the letters came pouring in from people I mean, I still get mail asking about that show, and and that's when I realized how much Doctor Who meant people, and how much he meant people. And so, so while it was a fantastic experience, um, I didn't realize quite what what an honor it was. I didn't realize how privileged I was. I think until it was done.
4: How did you like the experience? And 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 I guess maybe I should add this. How did that experience differ from recording with, say, Big Finish Now?
7: (laughs) It's quite really different, really different. Um, There was no way Tom and I were not going to be friends from (laughs) literally the moment I met him. Um, And John and Liz, we were all very professional. I don't remember laughing particularly we enjoyed it but you know we we were just doing a job whereas with tom it's like you actually go to another planet (laughs) (laughs) so that's the difference
4: so the the difference i love i love how when asked the difference you talk about the, the environment uh between the professionals Versus what I would have probably said is like, well, it's technologically a lot different. We uh, have the new de- technology and new booths yeah. and, and we've all recorded this. And I, the lunches are so much better
1: now. Or Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah.
7: Technologically, I mean, the BBC, while, while their methods have changed, the actual method of making a radio play hasn't changed for the actors. We still stand around on the mics and you're still acting everyone in the scene round the one microphone whereas big finish we're all in separate booths and all the voices are, can be lifted out and put back in you know isolated um so it's quite a different technical process anyway
4: do you have but a I preference say, between the two?
7: Oh no that's like making me choose between my children
4: <laughs> Although, <laughs> no, i just i just wonder as someone who who acts the idea of Having everyone around a microphone uh, for the BBC seems like it would be feel like um, a performance or an event.
7: Yeah, uh, uh, it does, and, and it it also feels rather like you know you are you do act to the scene out. You are living that scene. If you for instance, if you've got a dinner scene, you all sit around the table chomping on bananas um, and water. For wine, um, round one microphone. Whereas if that was big finish, we would all be in separate booths, with with headphones on. We could hear, but it's still there is still. I couldn't choose because there's a real intimacy about having having headphones on and just hearing. I mean, imagine, you know, you've got Tom Baker's breath in your ears. It's gorgeous and he's giggling and laughing and he's talking just to you it's very intimate even though there's like a glass door between us so you know I love one I also love the other
4: and you can see one another when you're you're doing recording for Big Finish yes?
7: yeah there's one studio where you can't if you're in the wrong if you're in the wrong box you can't You can't see anyone or maybe that's just because they locked me in a box that day I, I don't know <laughs>
4: Listening to Nicholas Briggs talk about your relationship during recording, uh, I could see him locking you in a box.
7: (laughs) Yeah, he would, basically. I've got John Dorney, on the one hand, threatening to kill me, um, David Richardson telling me I smell of wee, and um, Nicholas Briggs, um, yeah, basically. They they will bully me mercilessly.
3: (laughs) Well, speaking of the new... uh, The recent Big Finish stuff, uh, there is a brand new release just out in January and February. It's the 4th Doctor Adventure Series 8, which is two volumes, which is eight stories, where you team up with Tom Baker and you're playing WPC and Kelso. So what's it like playing a brand new companion for the 4th Doctor?
7: Oh, it's... it's, uh, I feel it's as exciting... People have come up to me at conventions and things, big finish days so excited about it. Well, I feel the same, even now it's done um I still feel that excitement of um I will you know you they can't take it away from you you're you're a companion now it's um it just feels like a really great privilege, and the fact that it was tom it was Tom is like a dream because He was my doctor. And it's Tom. I mean, he's the most hilarious, charming, kind, funny, bright, intelligent, gorgeous man you ever
1: met.
4: (laughs) You can tell that he really adores you, too. The way he talks about you at the end of each of the episodes, uh, you can actually see the glow coming from the stereo.
7: (laughs) That's nice. I listened to. I did. I listened to the extras from the first. Uh, I think it was the Sinestrin. Was it the Sinestrin
1: Kill? Mm-hmm. A- yes.
7: Anyway, I I cried.
1: I
4: heard
7: what they were all saying about me.
4: It was so nice having because uh, I I don't like doing my uh, my research before I listen to an audio or an, even an episode. I like mm. to just put it in and just enjoy it. As as it is Me too And it was so nice to hear Story by Andrew Smith uh, Script editor John Dorney <laughs> Jane Slavin I was like oh there's three people who have been on our show <laughs>
1: It's like it's so
4: great This is wonderful It's like a, it's like an audio family reunion Even though I have not met Any of you in person
7: <laughs> uh, We'll fix that
4: yes, We'll we organize will.
7: some kind of convention For us all Oh, That would be
4: I, I just came back from Gallifrey One, which is in Los Angeles, and it's, it's I think, the biggest Doctor Who convention in the world, Yeah, and, and had never done so before, and I'm still reeling from that. It's been two wow. weeks.
1: It was, <clears throat>
4: it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It was wonderful, and the main reason for going was that so many of the attendees are people that I've met through the internet who Born we've had her. on our program who we've discussed via Twitter or Facebook or social media, but I've never met in person. And it mm. was so nice just to sit down with a cup of tea and hang out with them or, or yeah. watch them in panels or just listen to them. And I, I you know, the people who are so passionate about this program, uh, and this includes professionals, not just fans. Yeah, yeah. and professional inclu-
7: Well all of the big Finnish guys are they're all they all started off as fans. Um, you know, they. Although uh, I mean, this is their profession. They're still eight-year-old boys, <laughs> yes, who, adoring. You know, and occasionally we'll get someone in. Um, when we got Wendy Craig in, I thought David Richardson was going to keel over from joy. <laughs> he was so. He was just so happy to have her there. So yeah, they're all. They're all fun. And I love that passion. I think that's what that that's what inspires us all, isn't it? that just that joy?
4: I can't imagine being in their position, being able to pick uh, people who they are fans of to help them bring to life stories that they've created. I mean, to I me, that seems like, could there be, a job with any more job satisfaction.
7: I know, than... I feel the same.
4: And you can be a part of it. You get, to, yeah. you get to experience that joy firsthand, which has gotta be wonderful.
7: Yeah, I know, I feel the same. I mean, I, w- when we got Wendy Craig in, um, I'd written her a part because she was my hero. She was the one when my dad left me with a record player and a, and a woman reading a story, that woman was Wendy Craig. So, um, so I wrote her a part, and, you know, they were saying, well, we probably won't be able to get Wendy, and, um, and we did. So it was like, oh my God, I've summoned, I conjured her.
1: Words have power. Yeah.
4: Well, let's talk about your writing um, for, for audio as well. Is there a difference for you when writing something like prose versus writing something for for an audio?
7: Um yeah, because I think audio is more it's more like it's more like improvisation. It's more like acting because mm-hmm. everything you write, you're you're acting out in your head. You're imagining, you're living it. Um you don't have to describe something. It has to be it has to be apparent from what's being said rather than described. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite, it is quite is quite different. It's more like playing. Oh, I have that's... really enjoyed it. I'm really grateful to David Richardson for giving me that first commission for Survivors um, because I've loved it. I've done five or six now um,
3: wow. and I've really enjoyed it.
4: Brent, have you gotten a chance to listen to any of the survivors audios? I haven't. Um,
3: I've heard the first two series, and they are great. Oh, I recommend um, you actually.
7: My first episode. Not that I'm plugging my own episode. <laughs> Plug your own
3: ex- episodes. Ex- 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 do ex- it.
7: I am, but my episode could be listened to in isolation because it goes back to the very beginning. Oh, okay. Um, so you don't there. It's all brand new characters.
3: We watched the TV series for uh, one of our earlier episodes with Andrew Smith because that was the, uh, the show ah. that he picked. And um, so I watched the entire thing and I loved it. And so then I went into the big finish and listened to the first two series and, and uh, loved them and just thought Louise Jameson was just awesome in that.
7: Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And also she, um, she wrote one as well. Hmm maybe she wrote too she's incredibly talented Louise and just the loveliest woman
4: I I having just gotten a chance to meet her within the last year um, just the passion that she brings to her projects yeah especially uh, the ones that she's that she writes herself uh, again it's so marvelous to be able to sit in the presence of people talking about the act of creation you know in in all forms for me it's i i I think i can appreciate writers because that's something i understand a little better than than acting or um like illustration or or that physical visual medium Um, but anyone who gets a chance to uh, work in their the field that they're passionate in you can just sense it uh as long as they don't as long as you don't feel like it's a job, you know, like as long as you still have that passion.
7: It's, yeah. It's, it's... Oh, I can't. Yeah. I, yeah, I do. I think some people do lose it, but like maybe it's because the things we lose are when we're stifled, when we, when we're unable to do it, you know, as a, if, if, as an actor, if you're unemployed for any length of time, it's like dying. It's just, you know, so frustrating.
4: Uh, well, speaking about, writing which we're still talking about it um mm-hmm. later this year you've written for uh, a big Finnish original series called Sarah. transference uh tell yeah us a little bit about that
7: Um, it's um the it's a thriller it's original it's uh myself andrew smith john Dorney, roland moore all sat around with matt fitton um Coming up with these the 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 story of transference, which was um, basically it's a it's a psychotherapist. Alex Kingston plays a psychotherapist uh, whose life is not going very well at all, and um, she could probably do the little bit of psychotherapy herself. And one of her clients, yeah, one of her clients raises her suspicions, shall we say, and uh, with good reason. I can't, I can't really, I'm terrible, I hate spoilers of any kind, I mean, and anything is a spoiler for me, so I'm rubbish at plugging anything, because I can't, I'm scared to say anything. You know, I was there for the recording, and oh my goodness, Alex Kingston and Robert Whitelock, playing two best friends, were out of this world, it sounded great, so yeah, I was. Um, I was pleased. I wasn't sure I could do it. I thought, I'm not sure I'm a thriller writer. Um, but once we were all together and we had this kind of writer's room going on, um, actually a thriller is like any other piece of writing. You know, you just have to keep, you have to keep people's interest. And, and it's mainly about the characters. So, so now yeah. that
4: you've written a, a thriller, what, what kind of genre haven't you written for that you'd like to write for?
7: i was going to say something really rude then but i'm not i'm not going to say that um um yeah uh just loads i mean i'm open to anything yeah i haven't written anything for children Mm -hmm. actually i'm not sure i could (laughs) as soon as i said it i thought oh no no i can't my daughter's 14 now and um I would say her childhood was probably the most traumatic experience of my life, having to do that. So, so no, I'm probably not going to write for children. Watch this space. You'll, I'll speak to you in six months, and I'll be saying, yeah, I'm writing a kid's series.
4: <laughs> well, if you do, let me know. I'll be more than happy to. Well, if it's a book, I'll, I'll definitely order it for the, for the shelves at my library.
7: And they're the most important. I mean, you know, what our kids see as we know they turn into us they turn into the future so um it's so important what we feed them
4: yeah uh i i, I will occasionally go to library conferences and uh, yeah those get so heated because you don't get a lot of money uh, and it's it's sort of like you know i'm, I'm i won't compare myself to teachers because i feel like teachers on the whole have a a Much harder job and are much greatly less appreciated. Mm. Uh, well, then I think, I think you know, it's like parents and teachers, I think, have the two most important jobs in the world, but I get to be adjacent to that in that I work with both of them. Yeah, to help. Uh, and we librarians can get very passionate about uh, everything because, yeah, we care and, and, and sort of like that act of creation. Um, putting a book in a child's hand when you see their their eyes kind of light up and they want more of the same or oh, the same yeah. author, the same illustrator, or yeah, uh, that same subject. That's that's where the passion comes into
7: yeah. Forever. And realizing when you're telling them a story that they've actually gone there, wherever yeah. the story is set, you know they were there.
8: Isn't it wonderful? It's wonderful, darling. Absolutely wonderful. Yes, I'm wonderfully happy. I'm glad. I'm glad you're glad. It makes me very happy to know you're glad I'm happy, darling. <laughs> I'm glad. <clears throat> this is sheer bliss, this, isn't it? If you're so happy, Reggie, why do you keep sighing? Well, sheer bliss isn't enough, is it, Oh, darling? Reggie. <laughs> Well, there must be something more for me to do than sit by the sea guzzling champagne. Oh, Reggie, will you never be content? Uh, Darling, look, I'm just an ordinary bloke, you know. I'm no different from anyone else who walked out on his job, faked suicide, started a new life, returned in disguise, remarried his wife, opened a shop selling goods, guaranteed absolutely useless, to his amazement succeeded, walked out again, faked another suicide and started another new life. But no one else has done that. Exactly, darling, so there must be some purpose behind (coughs) it. No, there's something I've got to do, darling. A plan to help fight the miseries of this poor old world. A brilliant idea that will make everything I've done so far seem a mere bagatelle. A plan that will send the name of Perrin ringing out proudly for posterity. Darling, what plan? I wish I knew. I expect I think of something.
4: Cheers. Well, I mean, that, and that's part, of, that's part of what you, you know, having a job that has great job satisfaction. And to that point... Let's move on to your television selection because job satisfaction plays such a majority part in, in that story. When we have a guest on, we ask them, because we know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom, we ask them to choose a show that they enjoy. Jane Slavin, please tell us what you have chosen to talk about today and why you chose it.
7: I chose The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. The original series from the late 70s early 80s um, it's it, uh, I found it the most uh, I was so moved by it as a child I don't know why I felt I could relate to Reggie Reggie's having a breakdown he loves his family he loves his you know he, he loves his wife he loves his family but it's not enough And I had this fear that this would be me. Um, And I loved him. I loved it. I loved loved Leonard Rossiter. It made me laugh. It made me cry. And then um, I got it on uh, VHS and I watched it. I watched it when I left home. Um, Then I got it on DVD. Now I have it on download. Um, (laughs) I, I, I loved it. I just, it's just, ticked all the boxes for me, Reggie. I mean, you know, I had had a hard time choosing an actual favourite from classic TV shows. It could have been so many things, but actually I thought Reggie, yeah, Reggie's, Reggie had a profound effect on me. I kind of wanted to be him, even though he was suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to be him because he was so funny, the way he, oh, I I loved. I just, I just. love him, and I love Leonard Rossiter. I would have done anything to be able to work with Leonard Rossiter.
4: Did you get a chance to meet him?
7: Oh, I didn't have a chance to meet him, although my dad took me to the last theatre show he did. So we went to see him in the West End.
4: Not the show he actually passed away during.
7: I think it might have been. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, it wasn't the. It wasn't the. No, no, it wasn't the show. We didn't see him the night he died. No, I mean, I would get some kind of perverse pleasure from that. I think <laughs> thinking, you know, I was with him when he died, but no, I wasn't. So,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, reading yeah. up
4: about his life was kind of a. Well, I, I tried not to say fascinating too often on this podcast, but it really was fascinating just reading about who he was as an individual and and what he did and how he went about doing it I've uh, not,
7: do you know I've not read much about him I'm scared to read I don't want somebody to I don't want anyone to tell me he's not the man I think he is well
4: then I will say nothing uh... Yeah.
7: Um, well there was I worked with an actress once and she said something oh Leonard Rossiter and said something and I literally just blocked my ears I oh I said no I don't think so I think you're bitter <laughs> <laughs> I just wouldn't have it. You can't you like your know. reality
4: and And that's... you know, in
7: this in this age as well, so many people are disappointing us. Well day by day, heroes yeah. are being knocked off their perches. Um so I yeah, I Leonard Roster, you can't I'll just block my ears.
4: I I will say nothing. Mm -hmm. So you watched this on original transmission then?
7: I did, and I was very young. I was allowed to stay up. My parents had wildly inappropriate choices for us as children. (laughs) Um, And I think it probably wasn't... I mean, I'm glad I did watch it, but it was on late. I used to fall asleep at school. I was at primary school when it was first aired. And I remember I used to save... um, a chocolate bar and eat the chocolate bar all the way through the program it's half an hour long yeah god knows why at that age it, it so affected me but it did
4: well it's an affecting program yeah. yeah again i went in uh knowing nothing about it i at i was at gallifrey and i and i mentioned that we were doing this interview and uh, what you chose and um many people were like oh I love that show. You're going to love watching that, you know, and oh, they, excellent. they had, and, and we, I, I think they started talking about it. I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's not talk about it. Uh, Cause I want, I don't want to be spoiled. And you know, I watched the first season in a, in a single evening, essentially. Oh, wow. uh, and I was, I was wrapped. I was wrapped because I have this prejudice and it's, it's a weird thing. I have a prejudice thinking that television before a certain time didn't have any kind of depth I don't know yeah, why what? I got that. It was because it didn't have a television and I just didn't grow up watching. I read books and didn't watch TV up until a certain point, so I made oh, this but, assumption.
7: But you're right, though. I mean, so quite a lot of it didn't. You know, quite that, a lot of it was like variety TV and mm. shallow and you w- weren't allowed to say so many things. And, and this, w- this was different, I think.
4: I think the show, they could make that right now and it would be just as poignant now as it was then
7: i agree yeah yeah i agree
4: we haven't really described the program um so if if listeners have never heard of it before could you briefly describe um we've we've mentioned job satisfaction loves (laughs) his wife suicidal and that's really all we've kind of described because you know
7: he he goes does a nine-to-five job every day he dresses in a certain way it's very He, you know, he he he's he's doing everything that conventionally he is supposed to do. He has children; they've grown up. He's, um, you know, he's probably not having enough sex. He gets the train every morning, and of course, the train is always delayed. And then he goes to work for Sunshine Desserts, and he's bored. He's bored. He's bored. He's bored. He wants something other than this. Um, And he goes madder and madder until eventually he leaves his clothes on a beach and comes back as another person. Oh God, I'm just remembering it now. I'm going to have to watch it again now.
4: It's so good. It's so good. And I I didn't see that coming. I thought this is going to be a show where I'm slowly watching this person go crazy and there's nothing he can do to stop it. I didn't even know how many episodes it was when I started watching. Sometimes I thought, oh, maybe it's just ten episodes and it just is going to end with him snapping. Um, But just, I think it was three episodes in when he invites his secretary back to his house to have at there. Oh,
7: that is so funny. That whole scene (laughs) is so funny. She's trying to Oh, my goodness me. And she's so understanding. Everyone is. Him.
4: That's the. That's what's so weird. is because Everyone, everyone seems to be it. so understanding about what he's going through.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Reggie. Oh, and there's a scene when he dresses up as a woman. Yes. And walks through, and nobody mentions that he's dressed as a woman. They're all just, hello, Reggie. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Are you coming around to dinner again tonight?
7: it's extraordinary i think it is that thing that he is so loved he's so lovable
4: he works for advertising for a dessert company jane what do you think he wants to be doing if you if you had a a magic wand and you could you could get reginald perrin to do the job he 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 really should be doing what do you think that would be
7: oh oh i don't know um I suppose when he runs... Have you seen the second season yet?
4: I've watched... I have watched um, bits and pieces of all of them so I could get a, a mm. I understanding every, of everything.
3: I watched every single episode. So <laughs>
7: <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe if he... W- I don't know. I don't know what
4: I'd give Reggie. Um,
3: I think what? he should be an
4: actor. I think he has... <laughs> certainly his... Or, or a professional makeup artist because he's really good at, yeah. at disguising well, himself as somebody else. The accent mm. i mean, you can see where um, the actor's comedy chops are in. He is such a uh, a talented actor.
7: He really is. Maybe Reggie should be a modern day life coach, huh. where he teaches people to just let go and forget about convention and forget what they're supposed to be doing and just do what they want to do because he seems to know how to have fun he's just not allowed to
4: i think if this were made in the late 80s that's probably what we would have gotten that for season four
3: (laughs) yeah probably what i loved about it was that it was so ever-changing like it wasn't like three's company or something where it's the same plot throughout the entire show. Mm. It, it every year was something different. Like he's Oh yeah. Yeah, he's he's bored with his life and then he fakes his death and then he comes back in disguises and then he comes comes back to be Reggie and then he opens a rubber shop and becomes rich. <laughs> then get I mean
7: When he comes back as Martin and um, his wife goes along with it, knowing full it's (laughs) Reggie, I
4: love that. The memorial service is (laughs) so brilliant.
3: (laughs) And she didn't waste any time almost remarrying someone else, did she?
7: I think that's what he says at one point. Oh, you're not (laughs) wasting your time. I'm not even dead yet. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm a little confused as to how much time I think I, I, this is one of the things I want to go back and research how much time ha- passed before between his leaving his clothes on the beach and his coming back as Martin Wellborn, because she is I, engaged to another man almost immediately. And they haven't even had the memorial service, which is I
3: think usually about a long 10 days. weekend. Yeah. In the
7: UK, it's about 10 days. So I think, um, yeah, I think he comes back for the for the wake, doesn't he?
3: yeah yeah there is a line about uh it's been about a week or so or something. Yes. <laughs> I was
7: like,
3: wow. she moved on quickly
7: <laughs> and the pigs when he's working with the pigs
4: oh yeah oh
7: my god i love him or he he
4: goes he goes to work uh he, he, he goes to apply for a job and and they're they're so excited that he's not a college student and he and he's, he's a drunk and a criminal. And they, they, they can't hire people like that normally. And he's like, oh, so I get to work in the parks. Oh, no, 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 no. You're working in the sewage plant. And it's just him <laughs> raking sewage and falling in. And then getting on the bus later and everyone moving away from him.
7: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
4: <laughs> I laughed a lot more than I thought I was going to. Because I I felt for him so much. And yeah. I, I get embarrassed by television programs that are that that show embarrassing scenes because I I feel like my empathy reaches out for that character and I put myself in that situation and and uh, oh it's too much have,
7: isn't it It's it becomes too much. not funny like The Office it ultimately it's the, the British version of The Office with Ricky Gervais is yeah. so oh my god you could um, rupture a hemorrhoid just just. <laughs> watching in embarrassment for him and it becomes almost not funny because you you're just too ashamed for him whereas with reggie you feel Mm -hmm. for him but you're laughing at these ridiculous situations he gets into and his reactions and you just root for him all the way through
3: yeah and there were a lot of really funny catchphrases too which all good sitcoms have like i didn't get where i am today by doing this yeah (laughs) and super and
7: super great yeah and the hippopotamus. Every time he sees his <laughs> his mother-in-law, he sees a hippopotamus. <laughs> I, I know, Again,
4: I haven't watched every single episode, but do we ever meet the mother-in-law? No. Uh, Brent? No, no I no. don't okay. think so. No. no.
3: But there is a um, on the disc. There is a like a five-minute Christmas uh, skit that they did uh, after the series was over, and everybody comes back uh, for one little skit in their living room. And somebody mentions the mother-in-law, and he starts thinking about the hippopotamus again. <laughs> it's a little. They they did a lot of early on. They did a lot of cutaways like that, uh, like Family Guy does when they start talking about something and they look away. Yeah, and they have a little cutaway. Yeah,
4: yeah. It's a the kind like of Walter Mitty where the idea is that he has, uh, Parent has a rich imagination. Like, you he know, lives he has in this his kind imagination. of. He yeah. does. He yeah you know the, all the the cuts of him having these um trysts with his secretary and and uh, even with his own wife which yeah. <laughs> depending on where his scenario is he's surrounded yeah. by women who are who are uh, and their sexual advances but in that situation he could only think of his wife which i found very endearing because she's a yeah. marvelous character and uh...
7: in um when i wrote a girl um which was um louise jameson's creation and we wrote this series between us Um, One of my characters was an old sleaze, sleazy colonel chap. And he was based almost entirely on the doctor, Reggie's doctor. Because every time she, every time Joan um, goes to uh, see him for anything, feeling a bit chesty, he he always wants to get a top off and oh do a little cartwheel for your uncle <laughs> <laughs> this grown so woman creepy. and i and i properly lifted that character and put it into Atta Girl. nobody noticed as yet but now it's out there you will notice when you listen to Atta
4: Girl. Mm-hmm. i you know it's so funny that you mentioned that i i can't believe that i still haven't picked up Atta Girl and i've i've been meaning to buy it for my wife just because listening to louise kind of describing it and, and the creation process and and how excited she is that it's it's doing as well as it is mm-hmm. i, I <laughs> say no more um, you know,
7: you've got you've got a lot to listen to we all have yeah. i mean i've got i've got piles and piles of stuff to that i've got to catch up on i haven't listened to anything i've been in for I don't know. Two years. I still haven't listened to Anne Kelso.
4: Wow. Well, I I hope you will be as happy with it as we were. Mm-hmm.
7: Oh, thank you. I'm, I mean, I was scared. It's quite a responsibility.
4: Well, I you know I went in with the the first the first half of that season, and you have such a natural rapport with Tom that it translates. To the the characters on there. And And it's really really
7: enjoyable. Yeah. Lots of people have said that. It's had a really nice reception. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I've had lots and lots of messages from various people, people I don't know, people from all over the world saying about that chemistry and how much they enjoyed the stories. And so, yeah, I'm pleased. I mean, I knew, you know, it was great to do, but then afterwards you think, will it be enough? Will it be what they want? You want to please these people. You know, I meet these fans all the time and you just want to make them happy.
4: You also seemed really thrilled to to uh, interact with K9 as well. Oh, yes. Like, mm-hmm. Just to oh, be called yes. the mistress by K9. I know.
7: I know it was so exciting because I, I remember him from the TV show, and I've worked with John a lot, um, played various aliens and stuff. But then to actually go up a gear, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when he's yes, mistress, it was ah, oh, it was sublime. It was lovely, and John is just the loveliest, sweetest he's man. So oh, sweet, is.
4: yeah, he's so sweet. He, he was really is. possibly the easiest person I have ever had to interview. Not had to uh, that I have I have interviewed. Uh, who because, John was? Yes, um, a couple of years ago at a convention, um, I got my pick of who I got to interview, and and he was present. I'm like, oh no, I, John Leeson, absolutely. And once he gets rolling, he has all these stories, and oh he's my God, uh, yes. so good with the questions, and and uh, yeah, and it, just the line of people who wanted to to be in his presence uh, yeah. because you know to have a to have a character. Um, who is who's known primarily by its voice, right? Like you yeah. don't see him except for in one episode. Of
1: course, uh, yeah.
4: And so to to be to have that kind of reception for something that you've created, even when you are physically not associated yeah. with it, you can tell he loves it. He loves being a part yeah. of it.
7: He really does. Mm-hmm. I think he could probably actually talk about anything you gave him you know if you said let's talk about spicy nuts john for half an hour (laughs) you know what he could
4: (laughs) this has been spicy nuts with john leeson
3: (laughs) so uh to wrap up uh I, i had one more question about uh reggie did you watch the 96 uh show the legacy of reginald perrin I didn't give it 80 pages, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I didn't either. <laughs> I think I got half no. the first episode.
7: I started and I, it, it, it was n- without the heart of Leonard Rossiter. It, it was just wrong, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see why they do it. I can see why people write sequels and stuff, but it's wrong. <laughs> it's so wrong. <laughs> No, I I gave I pro I think I gave it four pages, and um and then I switched it off. I was also really worried for like young people who were being introduced to it, who would then not go back and watch Reggie.
4: Oh yeah, that's a that's a legit concern.
7: Yeah, because they would have seen that and thought, well, this is awful. Why would we go back? I think just repeat Reggie on a loop forever, and <laughs> um that sounds like a good idea to me.
4: Well, I didn't get where I am today without, uh, thanking guests once they, they come on our program. Jane Slavin, before we let you go, uh, is there anything else that you would like to plug?
7: Um, no, no, not really. Just, okay. you just keep watch, you watch and listen to the things that make you happy and make you excited. And, um, if I'm in them, then great. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, where can people find you online?
7: You can find me on Twitter, where I uh, spend half my life, I think, at the moment, <laughs> frustrated with our governments and um, the world in general, and um, enjoying um, watching people being funny. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter It's just Jane Slavin And I've got a blue tick
4: Alright, well thank you so much for joining us And thank you for joining us on Who and Company Who and Company, come for the fandom Stay for the company Thanks for joining us at Who and Company Special shout out to Pixel Who For providing our logo They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com And Spotify Or you can download the show directly From whoandcompany.libsyn.com Contact us on Twitter at Who and Company, support the show on Patreon.com slash Who Company, or email us at Who and Company at Yahoo.com. Thanks and see you next month. Ah, we should all touch each other. We should all feel physical contact.
0: It's the outward expression of inward togetherness. Uh, touching's good, feeling's beautiful. Oh. Smacking is good, and twelve karate lessons from the Isha
8: College of Further Education are beautiful. It's the outward
0: expression of inward together. Mm. If Reggie'd been sitting there. I've done the same to him. Thank God I wasn't. <laughs> touching is beautiful.
8: Yeah, Super. Yeah, yeah. After, yeah,
1: yeah.
8: Abroad, they do it all the time. Uh, Mr. Insurance says when you, don't mind yeah, here oh, <laughs> Not at all, I like it. Ah, yes, Oh no, that's <laughs> <laughs> a bad name. My sail with that case, certainly.
2: Yes. Come on. Everybody, touch everybody. Come on, yeah, well, touch everybody. I didn't I get that's Brian that's today that's by touching everybody. everybody. <laughs> Tom Baker and
5: Jane Slavin. Oh, is that how you say it? It
7: is, yeah. I've been, been calling s-
2: you Slavin for years.
7: You're the only one I don't mind.
2: Oh, right. You I could see. call me anything, oh, darling. <laughs> darling. <laughs> We've done lots of uh, different characters, but now, of course, she's my assistant, aren't you, darling? Yes, I am. And I, I absolutely, <laughs> absolutely love it. And I feel no sense of betrayal. That's the wonderful thing in the imagination. We suddenly then absorb a new character, which I embrace absolutely, and never mention previous ones. It all starts with every new adventure, which Uh, is
1: why
7: you can do it again and again and again with each. You know, you can go back and have Louise and Lala, and you can do you can do
1: you do Mm. anyone.
2: Well, that's why it's lasted so long. Maybe, no, I can't dance anymore. Yeah, you can. No, I'm not.
1: (laughs) I I can shuffle. (laughs) 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 Uh, Lovely.